Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Risen Church. We are finishing up today our series called Summer's Preaching Series. It's really just been a lot of sermons under the title Summer Preaching Series. This is the last one that we are in, and uh, they saved me for last. I don't know what that means. No, 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 not like that. Not like that. This, to me, this feels like the Olympics. Anybody watch the Olympics, Summer Olympics? We love the swimming. We were watching swimming the whole time. And this feels like that relay that uh, four swimmers swim in. They each swim a different stroke. So we've had people like Katie Ledecky all summer, Caleb Dressel, Michael Phelps came out of retirement. And then I'm just the last guy standing on the podium. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I'll make it through this. I do a cannonball into the pool. They're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I've never done this. And so... Uh, get water in my goggles and just kind of make it through. So, but we're gonna we're gonna be uh, talking about worship today. Naturally, uh, my name is Zach. I'm a worship leader here. Um, but we're gonna be in Romans 12:1. So if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be there. Just that verse today. We're gonna be camping out there. I'm gonna read it for us. It'll be on the screen, and then we will do a, a cannonball into this thing. Uh, Romans 12:1. I'm gonna read the NIV version for us today. I like how the NIV, NIV says it, and so says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Well, there's a worship leader and a songwriter I love. Many of you probably are familiar with him. His name is Matt Redman. Um, Grew up listening to him. And uh, you may not know this, but we, we sing some of his songs. He, he may feel old to you guys, but he wrote, we, we sang Build My Life last week. He helped write that. He's written songs like Blessed Be Your Name, Our God, 10,000 Reasons. He's an incredible songwriter, incredible worship leader. I grew up listening to this guy. I look up to him a lot as a worship leader. And he tells a story of a time that he was serving in a church in England. He's from England. He was on staff as their music leader. This was like 20 years ago. And this church was, like, blowing up at the time. Up and coming, super exciting season for the church. Matt Redman's leading worship. His band's crushing it. ton of young people are just flocking to this place. What would be considered an exciting season for a church, that's what was going on here. But the story is about, actually, the pastor of the church named Mike Pilavachi. The pastor, during this exciting time, you think he would be pumped, but he was discerning something in the middle of this season that felt off, He was discerning something that felt like they were missing, and so he just does this baller move and gets rid of the sound system, gets rid of the band, gets rid of Matt for a season, and says, we're we're getting rid of all this music because he felt like they were missing the heart of worship. Matt describes it as this, Pastor Mike decided to get rid of the sound system and a band for a season, and we gathered together with just our voices. His point was that we had lost our way in worship, and the way to get back to the heart would be to strip everything away. So what followed was weeks of services that, where music would be, like what we just had, three songs, where that would be, it would just be carved out times of silence, which was really awkward. Um, Matt Matt literally said it was an awkward silence for weeks. Um, But Pastor Mike was challenged in them in this carved out time of silence. He would put this challenge in front of them. Are you a producer in worship or just a consumer? 
when you walk through the doors on a Sunday, what are you bringing as an offering to God? Which, that challenge alone is, I'm just like, if I'm going to somebody's house, I want to, you know, bring a gift, like, be hospitable. If I'm coming into the house of the Lord, like, my heart, this is just confession, I come in a lot and I just consume. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go get from God. But we're coming in the house of the Lord. I want to bring an offering to him. He's like the most glorious and wonderful. And so he's putting this challenge in front of his people. And it starts shifting their thinking about worship. Week after week, the awkward silence gets less awkward because out of it comes heartfelt times of prayer. Out of it comes a cappella singing. They start thinking, okay, what am I bringing to the Lord in worship? And a beautiful shift happens in his church. During this time... Matt writes a song, you may be aware, called Heart of Worship. Uh, it's a famous song. Um, you may have sung it before, but the, the words are literally just what was happening in the church. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song. And then I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And so he wrote this song. The people shift and they realize And what we need to do is we need to bring an offering to the Lord as a response for who he is and what he has done. They're not coming to respond to a band. They're not coming to respond to a sermon. They're coming to respond to Jesus. And if Jesus is in the room, you can worship. And he's in the room. And so that's what we're going to be dealing with today, just a little bit. Um, We're going to just kind of dig into what worship looks like here at Risen Church. I I have the great privilege of serving as a worship leader next to Jelana. Um, humbled and grateful to do that each week. I like genuinely love it. I love worshiping Jesus with you guys through music each week. But there's also a weight to it that I feel. Um, it's a calling on my life. I don't take lightly um, getting to do this. And there's an urgency that I, I feel in our worship that I want to make sure we get right. I want to be be sure that we are aware of what worship is truly. Jesus says in John 4, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And I don't want to get that wrong. I want to know what is true about Jesus, what is true about worship, and make sure that we get that right because we don't have a lot of time on this earth. I know that's a a sobering thought, a heavy thought, but we just don't have a lot of time, and that should put some urgency in this. In fact, this is what the Bible says about your time on earth. That's it. That's it. That's all it is. That's what your time on earth is. One more. That is all you get. James 4.14, it literally says it. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You're just a mist. Like that's literally all you have. (laughs) Psalm 103 actually says it a different way. This one got me too. It says, you are grass and the wind blows over you. You're there one day, you're gone the next. And your place doesn't remember you anymore. I'm just like, golly, like we just, we do not have a lot of time, so we got to make sure we get this right. You were not created with significant time on earth, but you were created with significant purpose. You were created to worship. Um, you are 
from God, the Bible says, and we're going to get to this verse later, you are from God and you are for God. So you are created to worship him, created to make much of the one who made you, created to make much of the one who's put life in your body. You're a mist, but you're a mist with significant purpose. So to start off, I just want to give us a definition of worship. This is a definition I like to use if people ask me what is worship. Not a lot of people ask me that, but I, uh, this is a biblical definition. If somebody on the street asked me what is worship, I wouldn't use this, but this is a biblical definition of worship that I want to just unpack with us today, and then we'll, we'll dig into Romans 12.1. Uh, when I get to the word response, it's going to be up on the screen. When I get to the word response, I want you all to say response, because that's the most important word of this definition, so you all say that out loud. Here we go. Worship is a full life Head, hands, and heart to who God is and what he has done. This is a biblical definition of worship. A general definition of worship would be what you give worth to, what you give value to. It comes from two words, worth and ship. Put them together, worship. At its core, it is what you give value to in your life, and everybody is giving value to something. Everybody is giving worth to something. All of us worship Um, pretty much all the time, no matter what we're doing. So point number one today, just to start off, you are a worshiper. So this sermon is for you, because everybody in this room is a worshiper. Everyone in the world is giving worth to something, whether you know Jesus or not. If you want to know what somebody worships, look at what they give time to and attention to, money to, love to, whatever they value most in their life, is often what they are worshiping. And we can't help it. We are literally hardwired to do this. We are hardwired this way to worship. God has created us this way. We were made to worship and are constantly worshiping because we are from God and we are for God. Well, some of you are like, I'm, I'm an accountant. No, you're not. You are a child of God created to worship. Your job is an accountant. You are good at accounting, hopefully, but you are... A child of God created to worship. You're a worshiper. Some of you are like, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom of three. No, you're not. You're a child of God. You're a worshiper. You've been given a role of stewardship, of discipling, of raising up three little worshipers. Which, by the way, if you want to see how we are hardwired to worship, look at kids. Nobody teaches them this, but they worship the most ridiculous stuff. They just, my nephew Hudson is two years old deeply devoted to trash trucks. He's obsessed. And I, I, think, I think this is a thing right now. I think there's a, a cartoon. I'm not sure. But he loves them, obsessed with trash trucks. Literally the last time I was with him, he sat on my lap. He like woke up and walked to my lap. He wakes up thinking about this. Sat down and he said, trash truck. And I said, okay, buddy, let's look at trash trucks. And so I got my phone out and I Googled Trash trucks. Just Googled pictures of trash trucks. It's not even like a cartoon. It's just pictures. And we would just swipe one by one all through Google. And every like sixth or seventh one, he would just be like, trash truck. And I was like, yeah, all of these are trash trucks. Um, I don't know. Um, And then his mom was like, all right, enough. Go play. And he got off my lap and walked straight over to Becca and just like whispered like, trash truck. (laughs) Like just to see He's obsessed with them. He worships them. I love you, Hudson, if you're watching. 
He's not, he's two. Um, but you're a worshiper. So when we look at Jesus, what we are hardwired to do is worship, and it should be a response to the one who gave us life, who hardwired us this way. We are from him, we are for him. And this response is a full life response, what our definition said. We'll get to that. So you are a worshiper. You were created to worship. Point number two, worship starts with God. It always starts with God, who he is, what he has done. It says in our definition, who God is, what you have done, what he has done. If you notice today, we didn't, that first song, I love it, we didn't sing God, you did good. You answered all of my prayers, you did good. Got a promotion at work, you did good. We didn't sing, I mean, there's songs about what God has done, but what we sang, you are good. You are good. If this definition is a framework, this definition that we're working through, if this is a framework for our life, which I believe that it is because we're worshipers, who God is means that worship can always happen. Who God is means worship can always happen, and he is good. What we know about him, worship in spirit and truth, what is true about God is that he is good. He's holy. He's righteous. He's loving. So who he is means that we can worship, and he is the same yesterday, today, forever. The God that has been and always will be is the same God that is right now. He never changes, and so that means that we can wake up and just worship. We don't wake up and say, let me see if you're still good, God. He is. He doesn't change, and so that means that just who he is, no matter what is going on, just who he is means we can worship. We can respond but also what he has done, no matter what your life has looked like. And I know that there has been significant hardship in this room. We have walked through valleys. People have walked through incredibly difficult things. But we can at least look back to the cross and say, okay, my God did that. My God hung on that cross. He dealt with my biggest problem right there. So at least we can see what he has done at the cross and say, I can worship today. Who he is and what he has done, I, I can worship. I can respond. Also, no one else, no one in this room has spent their entire week making sure their heart still beats, making sure their lungs are breathing. Like, even just these simple grace, graces that God has given us each day of our life, just take a deep breath and say, okay, Lord, that breath is for you. Thank you. Thank you that my lungs are working right now. What he has done for us is more than we could ask or imagine so we can respond and say, Lord, I worship you. So you are a worshiper. Worship starts with God. Nobody wakes up and says, I've decided to worship. No matter, you know, it, it was God first. He initiates. It's who he is. It's what he has done. And we get to respond to him. Point number three that response, worship is a full life response. Do you guys ever play uh, word association games? I thought it would just be fun because um, we're a small church. Word association, if I say a word, y'all say as quickly as you can the word that comes to your mind, Michael Jordan. Yeah, I'm loving it. Yeah. 
Hook them. <laughs> Sick them. Gig them. I thought like a whoop would happen or something. God's chicken. Yeah. That one's for Brett. And worship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot. I would say, before I gave us this definition, maybe just in your gut, maybe you don't say it out loud, but if I say worship, you quickly think music, singing, praise, which are not wrong answers. But we do often associate worship with singing. Like, that's just, it's not wrong, but it's what we do and what we have kind of done just over here in our Western culture. It's like worship is going to church on Sunday and singing. Don't get me wrong. Singing is important. I love it. I've dedicated my life to it. I I just do it all the time. I'd rather be singing right now than, (laughs) no, I, I love this. Scripture says 400 times, though, some version of sing to God. So it is important. 400 times it's mentioned. And 50 of those times, you are literally commanded by God to worship through singing. So 50 commands in the Bible from God. If God commands you to do anything 50 times, you should pay attention. So singing is important. It's really vital. It's wonderful. But singing and worship are not equal. Singing is a part of worship. So I just kind of want to split those two things up and help us see, like, all right, singing is a part of our worship, but our worship is so much more than that. Worship is a full-life response. So we're going to let Romans 12.1 unpack this, this point for us. So, again, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So if you want to know what God says about worship, here you go. He literally told you what it is. This is a solid foundation for us to stand upon as worshipers. We're created to worship. How do we worship? He tells us right here. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So let's unpack this one verse together. What we see here in Romans, Romans is a letter to the Christians in Rome. Um, And for 11 chapters... Paul has made an appeal to these Christians to do something. And we get to Romans 12, and we see what he has been making an appeal about. The letter does not start in Romans 12. If it did, it would be really weird. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. It's how you worship. Love Paul. Like, that just doesn't, it doesn't, there's no, I would be like, why did he write that? What does that mean? He has put 11 chapters in front of this verse to make an appeal to the Christians in Rome. And so we're going to look at that. You have to, if you're going to say, I urge you or I appeal, you have to have an actual appeal. A lawyer doesn't walk into a courtroom and say, my client is innocent. I urge you to let him go. The judge would say, why? Like, why? Well, because he's innocent. I know, but like, based on what? His innocence? No, like... How do you know he's innocent? Like You have to actually lay it out, make an appeal. And Paul has done that for 11 chapters. We also know that he's made an appeal because of the word therefore. It's an important word in Scripture. Therefore, if you see it in Scripture, you're supposed to ask, what's it there for? And so we're going to do that. What's it there for? What is this specific therefore doing? Uh, there's two lanes of thinking for this specific therefore. You can go back just a couple verses, read them, 
hit therefore and it makes sense. Or you can go back the entire Romans letter, 1 through 11. I'm just going to present both to us and you can decide. I think both are awesome. So let's look at chapter 11, 33 through 36, figure out why, God, why Paul put therefore there. Romans 11, 33 through 36, this is a doxology. It says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. First of all, that just feels like the ending of a letter. That's just trippy. He said, to him be the glory forever. Amen. I feel like the Romans were like, amen. That's a good letter. That changed my life. And they like start walking off. And then the guy reading it is like, therefore, there's more. Like, I don't know why he said amen, but he did. Therefore. So this is like a good enough In my mind, this is a good enough appeal for Paul to say, therefore, and then whatever he wants to say. If you you come up to me and say, you are from God, you were created by him, and you are for God, your purpose is to glorify him, to him be the glory, therefore, I'm like, okay, what? I'm in. That's a solid case for me. So this doxology... It's, it's a good enough case for me to, to put it there for, and I will listen to Paul. Or we take the past 11 chapters that Paul has written, all of Romans up to this point, and we can put that behind the therefore. If Michael can give you homework, I can give you homework. <laughs> Go read 11 chapters this week, all of them. It, it's worth it. But here's a quick flyby just for the sake of time today. It's the Romans road, essentially. It's the gospel that he has informed his appeal with. Chapter 1 is the... The rebellion towards God. We see rebellion towards God. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. They exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship creature over creator. We rebelled. Chapter 2 is the righteous judgment of God. Verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. And you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. Chapter 3, our state because of our rebellion, all are under sin. Verse 9, no one is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned aside, no one does good. That means you and me, we are not good. Verse 20, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. The law is not going to save us. It can't. Verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But chapter 4, something has to be different. If it's not the law, what is it? Abraham was justified by faith, and so are we now. Chapter 5, in fact, we can have peace with God. How? Verse 6, Christ died for the ungodly. Sin separates us from him, but Jesus came to us, and now we've been given access to him. Verse 20, by the, oh, I'm sorry, verse 8, because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He wasn't waiting for us to figure it out or fix ourselves. At your worst, he came for you. Chapter 6, we are now dead to sin and alive to God. We serve the master. We serve the one who is righteousness and who has given us righteousness. We're slaves to righteousness now. Chapter 7 shows us that the law revealed sin and revealed our need for Jesus. That's what the law was there for, to reveal that we need Jesus Chapter 8, the best chapter, love it, because now we have Jesus, we live a life filled with the Spirit, and nothing can separate us from our God. Chapter 9 through 11, you didn't do anything to, do, to deserve this or earn this. 
You are chosen by God. He did everything, and he has been patient with you and kind with you. The message of Romans 1 through 11 is that a holy and patient God has pursued you, come after you at your worst. He has pulled you into his family so that your life can count for something that matters. Therefore, I'm in. A response is needed. A response is appropriate to this God, this story that we are a part of. So Paul's made his case here. He urges us in view of this God, this God that came after you and has given your life purpose, offer yourself to him. It seems simple. Offer yourself to him as a living sacrifice. We know why he is urging us. We get that. So what he is urging us is a response. But what does it mean? What is a full life response? What is a living sacrifice? How are we supposed to be holy and pleasing? These are good questions you're asking. Uh, First, what is a sacrifice? Let's look at that together. What is a sacrifice? If we're supposed to offer ourselves as a sacrifice, we should know what a sacrifice is. We're familiar with the word, but let's look into it a little bit. Offering a sacrifice, it's the language of worship in the Old Testament. Old Testament, we see sacrifices everywhere, and it's the language of worship. I don't think about sacrifice and worship a lot. This has been really good for me to think about. Literally, the first time we see the word worship, this is just a side note, a fun fact, crazy, mind-blowing fact. First time we see worship in the Bible, the word worship, is the story of Abraham where God tests him and says, go offer your son Isaac as a sacrifice. And Abraham's like, okay, well, grabs Isaac, grabs some stuff, grabs some servants. They go to the base of a mountain, and Abraham turns to his servants, and he says, you guys stay here. Me and the boy are going to go worship. And Abraham knows that God told him to go sacrifice his son. This is wild. And he's like, I'm going to go worship. Thankfully, if you know the rest of the story, hopefully you do. He doesn't. God stops him. He says, I see you're faithful. I will provide the sacrifice. It's pointing to Jesus. I love it. But worship and sacrifice are literally linked all the way since Abraham. So worship and sacrifice are not two separate things. They are linked. So Paul's not saying anything new here. He is saying what has been, what has been true for, for a long time. Anyways, Old Testament sacrifices. Almost all Old Testament sacrifices were about sin. You sinned, you would come to the altar, you would sacrifice something because of your sin, because sin has a cost. These were not living sacrifices, like Paul says. These were animals that were killed and sacrificed on the altar. You you literally had to lose something that was yours because of your sin. Which, like, I mean... We're on the other side of this, praise God, but like if we were sinning and killing stuff all the time, it is just like, it is rigorous. And sin is, we should view it that way. But they would come to the altar as a worshiper because of their sin, and they would bring a sheep or a bull or a pigeon, and they would sacrifice it on the altar as an offering because sin demands punishment. It costs something. But thankfully, these sacrifices would represent, the slain animal would represent God's willingness to accept a substitute so that the worshiper could still live and have an ongoing relationship of forgiveness and joy with God. So the worshiper isn't paying for it himself. He's offering a sacrifice, a substitute. 
The problem with all of these sacrifices is that they didn't actually take away sin. Hebrews 10.4 says, It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But these sacrifices were pointing to the true and better sacrifice, Jesus. And Jesus came as the spotless lamb. He lived the perfect life. And Hebrews 10.12 says, He offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. And he sat down at the right hand of God. His sacrifice actually dealt with our sin. It didn't just push it aside. It wasn't a substitute. He actually atoned. His sacrifice actually paid for our sin. He took it upon himself, and he paid the cost. And we don't add anything to his work. It is finished. We just trust in what he has already done. So Paul is not saying that we need to present our bodies as a sacrifice for our sin. We don't need to present our bodies as a sacrifice and die and atone for our sin. It's already finished. That's been dealt with. Jesus has done that. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that we need to be a living sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise to the one who has already dealt with our sin. Hebrews 15 says, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So sacrifice of praise. He means look at the finished work of Christ and respond with a life lived in daily worship, in praise to the one who did die for you. And he says offer your body because it is a full life response. It means everything from our definition, head, hands, heart. It's all of you, all of who you are in response to who Jesus is. Some of you may be thinking, well, Zach, I'm not sure God wants my offering. I'm not holy. I'm not pleasing. I'm, I'm pretty far from it. I'm pretty messed up. Like, I don't think God wants my offering. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm with you. And you're not wrong because you're not holy and pleasing. I'm not holy and pleasing. But Peter makes this really clear in 1 Peter 2, 5. Offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Through Jesus Christ. You are not acceptable apart from Christ. Your sacrifices are not acceptable apart from Christ, but you are now hidden in Christ because of the mercy of God. So in view of God's mercy, offer your life to him because now your life has significant purpose. Now your life has meaning. Now your life is acceptable as a living sacrifice because of Jesus. You're from him. You're for him. You are literally in him now, so offer your life to him. Now, how does this play out? It, it plays out in everyday life, every act of your life, of your body. Show that God is your treasure. Let every act of your life show that Christ is more precious to you than anything else. Put to death all that dishonors him and live in a way that makes much of him. Leverage everything about you, everything in your life. Leverage it for the worship and magnifying and exalting of the one who gave you life in the first place. It's a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle that responds to the mercy of God by living for his glory. It's what we were created to do. So be a living sacrifice. Sacrifice today, what we associate sacrifice with often, is the cutting out of something, the giving up of something, but pretty much always for the gaining of something. We, we give up 
food to gain physical health. There's always like a goal that we are gaining, and we need to view this that way. We need to view that a living sacrifice isn't easy. It's not necessarily comfortable, but we need to look past the pain and the stretching and the uncomfortable feelings of what sacrifice is and focus on who we gain. We gain Jesus. Paul literally counts everything as rubbish compared to the worth of knowing Jesus. He says, that is worth it to me, to count the whole world as rubbish. It doesn't compare. The parable of the man who finds that treasure in a field and he goes and he sells everything just so he can have this treasure. Like he knows what he's gaining even though he's given up everything else. And we should do this with our life. We should look at Jesus and say, man, I can have Jesus. I can have righteousness. I can be accepted. He's worth it. Sacrifice is hard. It's uncomfortable, but Jesus is worth it. We're not gonna dig into this verse today, but verse two of Romans 12, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. The word right there is literally metamorphosis. So you literally become something else, a complete transformation, changing of who you are. You don't look like the world anymore. You sacrifice it. You look completely different. What is the point of gaining the whole world if you lose your soul? And you say, okay, world, I see what you worship, but I'm not doing that. My worship belongs to the king of kings. And it's a sacrifice. You may lose friends. You may lose opportunities. You may lose your life. Literally all week we've been seeing this in Afghanistan, our brothers and sisters, losing their life for the name of Jesus. The Taliban going door to door, finding Christians, hunting them down, finding anything that resembles a life lived to Christ and snuffing it out. You may lose your life for the name of Jesus, but to live is Christ and to die is gain. So to live is a life of worship for Jesus. To die is just gain for us. And so it's like a, a checkmate on life. It's, it's a beautiful calling that we get to step into. Jesus, I'm living for you, even if that means I'm dying for you, because living for you is just getting you, and dying for you is getting you. And so, it is good. Ah, Golly. Real quick, this is just a side note, but I like this. Some of our translations, maybe yours does, says, this is your reasonable act of worship. NIV says true and proper. ESV says spiritual. Some say this is your reasonable act of worship. What is a reasonable response to somebody who died in your place? Like, what is a reasonable response to someone who gave their life for you? I didn't think I would talk about Shrek the first time I preached, but Shrek, there's a, a scene in Shrek. I couldn't think of a better movie. I was, I was trying so hard, but there's a scene in Shrek that just, I remember, I watched Shrek a billion times where Princess Fiona's locked in the tower and Shrek and Donkey go and rescue her from the dragon and they make it out, barely, and they get out and Fiona is so pumped. She's like, ah, my, my rescuer, my knight, I'm free. And then she literally says, like, who are you, sir? I am forever indebted to your service. I am forever indebted to you. And Donkey's like, <clears throat> and she's like, oh yeah, my noble steed. She literally says, 
I am indebted to you forever. You save me. I now live for you, basically, is what she was saying. A reasonable response to a life laid down for you so that you could live is a life lived for the one who died for you. That is reasonable. That should make sense in our minds. It's like, yes, that makes sense. Paul exhorts us very clearly, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is just another way of looking at this. You don't even belong to yourself anymore. Jesus has paid for you. He's bought you, which is a good thing. So glorify him with your body. You belong to him, so give yourself to him. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice every day, holy and pleasing. Not because you are holy and pleasing, but because Jesus is. This is your full life response to who God is and what he has done. A life lived in worship. You guys ever wonder if pastors just make up stories to fit their sermons? Because sometimes I do. I'm like, did that really like, happen to you last week? And it fits perfectly with what you're preaching about. I'm just skeptical. But then I started preparing for this two weeks ago. This story happened. It fit perfectly. I was like, okay, God, you do this. I was in a, uh, a green room in Oklahoma. A green room is where a band and a speaker hang out. Uh, and I'm pretty introverted. I, I like to listen. I don't like to offer my voice a lot and talk. Uh, so I'm just chilling in this green room in Falls Creek, Oklahoma. And... Uh, we're, we're, we're leading worship for a college conference, Lifeway Collegiate Week. The speaker is in there. The band's in there. Some, a few guys that are helping out with the conference are in there. I'm sitting in a chair in the corner just listening. And uh, I hear this guy start talking. And his voice is like, he doesn't have a voice. And he's like, oh, how's everybody doing? And somebody's like, man, did you lose your voice this week? And he, was, he starts telling the story. He's like, no, I... I'm not going to talk like him. I lost my voice a few years ago. And he goes into this story about his, his life. He was a worship leader for 25 years, led worship at a church 25 years. And then after 25 years, his voice disappeared. It just was gone one day. He was saying he couldn't talk. He couldn't get sound out. And so he went to doctors. The doctors diagnosed the problem as like vocal cord paralysis. Your vocal cords are supposed to vibrate. They weren't. They were too far apart to make noise. And so he has to get collagen injections into his throat every other week still just to push his vocal cords close enough together to make noise. And so all that comes out is this. And uh, he, he's telling this story with a huge smile on his face. And I'm like in my chair over here just like kind of leaning in, listening, like this is interesting. I like the story so far. How's it going to finish? And he goes, I, I lost my voice. I lost my primary mean of worship for 25 years, how I viewed worship. I, I attached worship to singing. And then God took it away after 25 years. And I had, I had to do work in my heart to recognize that worship is not singing. Worship is more than that. And so suddenly I ran to Romans 12.1, and I was like, it's 12.1? And he, he's like, I went to Romans 12.1, and I saw that worship is a full-life response. Everything about me 
is a response to everything about God. It is an offering of myself as a living sacrifice. And I was like, gosh, you're writing my sermon. <laughs> and I didn't talk to him. I just heard his story. <laughs> and, uh, but I was like blown away because he said, and this is a, this is a cool line. I, I like what he said. He said, I learned more about worship during that time in the past few years really than I did for 25 years of leading worship because suddenly I realized I can leverage everything in my life to worship Jesus. I can leverage everything that I do Sunday through Saturday to worship Jesus. Singing is just an echo of a Romans 12:1 life lived out, which I just, I mean, it's, it's true, it, and it pumps me up. I love singing. I've dedicated my life to singing. I love it. But worship is a full-life response, head, hands, and heart to who God is and what he has done. And so I'm learning this with you because singing is really important to me, and I have to sift through my mind and think about full-life response. This has been work on my heart this week. I've been prepping this. It's a full-life response. And I pour a lot of energy into this morning and this set list, pour a lot of energy into singing, and it excites me. I love it. But what excites me even more is the thought that we would gather after a week of lives lived in worship to God and sing as an echo of what has been taking place all week. That excites me way more because we would come into this place ready to go. Jelana would say, good morning. You're like, yes, it is. Praise God. We're going to sing. Yes, we are, Jelana. Because Jesus is worthy. Yes, he is. So stand up and you just start running. Like you just, it would, it pumps me up. So what are we supposed to do? This is to close this out. What are we supposed to do? Our definition, worship is a full life response, head, hands, and heart to who God is and what he has done. We need to examine our lives and see what part of our life is not being lived in worship. Worship is not compartmentalized. We like to do this. We compartmentalize everything. Worship is not compartmentalized to Sunday morning and community group and sitting in your car with Shane and Shane vintage. We all do it. It's not compartmentalized. It is everything that we do. And so we need to examine ourselves, examine our lives, our hearts, and see where we need to engage in worship. Specifically in one of these three, three things in our definition, head, hands, and hearts. Some of you guys need to engage your head this week. Pick up your Bible and just meditate on Scripture. Set your mind on things that are above. Get to know God. In fact, write this down. I think this is really important. Theology informs doxology. What that means is what we know about God informs our worship of God. Theology informs doxology. So what we know about him informs how we worship him. If you don't know God very well, you can't worship him very well. Some of you need to just be present right here. You're spacing out. You're glazing over. <laughs> just engage your mind. Be present. Say, God, you're here. My mind wants to be set on you. Some of you all need to search your heart. See if there's anything in you that you are giving worth to that Jesus deserves to get in your heart. So ask him to search your heart. Love him with all of your heart. Love your neighbor with your heart. Some of you just need to let your heart show a little bit. 
You just bury all your feelings and emotions. You don't let people see. You don't let people know who you are. Maybe you just need to show your heart a little bit and show people who sits on its throne. Some of you need to just go forgive somebody you've been holding bitterness towards so that your heart is freed up to love God and worship him. And some of you guys need to engage your hands this week. Go do something nice for somebody. Get out of your your home and take something to a neighbor. Go to a homeless kitchen, like whatever it looks like for you. Use your hands this week to glorify God. Do something. Some of y'all need to learn how to just let your work become worship. Colossians 3 tells us, whatever you do, work it out with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from God as your reward. It's the Lord you are serving. So we need to let our work be our worship. If you are still at your job on Monday, that means God still has you there for a reason. So worship him in it. Whatever it is, offer yourself as a living sacrifice, a whole life response. Because Jesus is worth it. This is your worship. It's what you were made to do. So are you a producer in worship or just a consumer? Are you compartmentalizing worship or is it every part of your life? Does it infiltrate everything that you do? When you walk through the doors on Sunday, are you showing up to consume something or are you bringing an offering from a whole week lived in worship to Jesus? If we get this right, I think things are going to look different. If we get this right, I think things will look different. So how are you going to use your mist? (laughs) My prayer is that we use it to make much of Jesus. And I know that's simple. It's a simple prayer, but it's, that's my prayer for us, that we use this short life, this mist that we have been given to step into the significant purpose we have been given to magnify our king with everything we have. That's my prayer for us. So I'm just gonna pray that now. We're gonna, we're gonna close. The band's gonna come back up. But let's, let's offer our lives to Jesus' full life response. Lord, would you just help us with that? It does seem simple, but it is, it is what we were made to do, just to offer ourselves to you in everything that we are and everything that we do, offer ourselves as a response to you, Lord, and what you have done. So would you help us, Spirit? Would you fill us, fill our hearts with worship, lead us with our head, our hands, our heart, show us how we need to respond to you each moment. You are always present which means we can always worship. So show us how, teach us how. God, let our lives be lived for you and your glory. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for giving us this purpose, for rescuing us. We thank you for loving us and inviting us into a family, inviting us into this calling, this purpose. It is for your glory, Jesus. It's in your name.